have you heard about these mystery seeds from China that are being mailed to all these Americans, Reed? Is it the same thing as like getting a bunch of money from a prince that needs you to like bring it into the country or something? It's related to something, but it isn't as nefarious. It turns out what they're doing is in China, they're trying to game a system of reviews by mailing out packages to people and then writing fake reviews about these packages. What's the end goal here? To have a lot of positive reviews? Yeah, exactly. It seems like a lot of effort. Maybe just have a good product and provide a good experience. Just let it fall where it may. But if you get the seeds, you should not plant them. We're not really sure what those are going to grow into. This is 2020 after all, right? Did we just skip over the murder, murder hornets? I feel like we didn't address the murder hornets. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Touchpoint. This is episode number 183. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. I'm up here in Minnesota uh, hunting down murder hornets, Reed, because uh, <laughs> not really. We only have mosquitoes, which are just as bad, actually. So I attract mosquitoes uh, pretty heavily, but that's nothing to do with this episode. Thanks for joining us here for another week of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate the support. Touchpoint.health is the website where you can find out more about this episode. The uh, articles and and things that we reference throughout the show are in the show notes. I don't know that we've explicitly said this in, in recent months, but what we talk about in the show, we do include in the show notes. So if you want to find an article or a link or something like that, You can find all of those, certainly in your favorite podcast player, you can see the notes there, but you can also navigate over to the website, touchpoint.health. There's even a little search bar up at the top. If you're interested in a particular topic, you can type that topic in and it will bring back all the episodes uh, that have some relevance to that. could be a topic, could be a person, if you're wondering if we've interviewed a certain person before. And it's not just our show. It's not just Touchpoint. It includes all of the shows on the Touchpoint Media Network. Things like The Exam Room, Data Point, Intersection, Gear and Review, The New Normal, How I Got Here. And there's about another dozen that I'm forgetting at this point. (laughs) But uh, anyway, you can go there, type all that in, find all that. In addition, the TPS Report, our weekly email that comes out on Mondays with a handful of really thoughtful, aggregated news articles. We pull them into an email. We send them out every Monday morning. It's a quick read. Uh, There's a couple of other reference links in there to things that are going on, but you can sign up for that over at touchpoint.health as well. Let's take a quick pause here, and then we'll be back with today's episode. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, 
understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, we're going to be talking about a term that a lot of people have been talking about in healthcare for a number of years. Murder hornets. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, it's the digital front door and the importance and maybe some potential pitfalls of the concept or the strategy around developing a digital front door. Now, you've heard that term. I have heard of the digital front door. As a matter of fact, if you go to the website, like we mentioned in the beginning of the show, and type in digital front door, you'll see several episodes, not of this show necessarily, but several episodes relevant to this topic. So we'd certainly go check those out. But there are things that we've talked about, you know, with our good friends over at Binary Fountain, we actually did an, an episode of their show almost two years ago. So we've been talking about this for a while, right? I've been trying to figure out how long we've been talking about in healthcare. It really is a buzz term. I see it at conferences. I see a lot of webinars lately with the term digital front door. I don't know, Reed, what, has it been, what, three to five years since we've been starting to use this term in healthcare? Yeah, that's probably fair. Let's see. Did we talk about it before March of this year? I don't, <laughs> or between March and now? I, I don't know. Is it still March? I don't, I don't even know where we are. But yeah, three to five years is probably fair. Yeah. Just like every good buzz term, too, there really isn't a succinct definition of what it actually is. And that's what's the interesting part about this. And we've been doing some Google research, and we've found that there's really no clear definition of it. No, there's not. Because it's neither a door nor is it in front of anything. Well, I guess it's technically in front of something. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's like that that old coffee talk skit, right? The digital front door is neither front nor a door. Discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Mike Myers when you need him? Exactly. Exactly. It really led us to do a little bit of a a deep dive into the internet, which sometimes for the two of us, that could be a a very dangerous thing to really estimate when when that term was started to be used. And online, I saw as early as 2010, Marriott, the hotel, the hospitality company, they released a press release. Their CEO was calling their new website design a, quote, enhanced digital front door. That's the earliest I saw it on Google, in the Google searches. And then I went even further, Reed. I did a deep dive into Twitter. There's actually a place where you can actually see when a term is first mentioned on Twitter. And in a professional setting, in 2009, there was a reference to a website being a digital front door by a digital agency. So maybe this term is, what, like 10 to... 11 years old, perhaps? Well, it would have to be. If it was in a press release in 2010, you know, they didn't make it up for the press release because then nobody knew what they're talking about. So they had to pick it up somewhere prior to that. Maybe from said agency in 2009. <laughs> Talked about it on Twitter. I don't know. But to your point and through your sleuthing, uh, there isn't even a Wikipedia entry about it. An official one. Uh oh. So clearly there is no consensus because there's not a Wikipedia entry. No, I'm kidding. Well, not really, actually. But 
With that said, we don't know what it is. <laughs> there is probably a little consensus on it on exactly like finitely defining it, but there is probably some some commonality between some of the definitions or the way people use and talk about it, right? Like even you take Marriott there or the or the mention on Twitter, they're both referring to a website or a web property. Uh, as being kind of an entry point in the digital sense. You know, there's 122,000 articles with the term digital front door on Google. So certainly this is a topic of discussion. So I think it, it makes sense for us to maybe first kind of try to land on a consensus around what the term actually might mean. We found a couple of articles. The first one is called A Digital Front Door Strategy, What It Is, what it isn't, and why you need one. And it just so happens that's the number one search on Google when you type in the term, quote, digital front door, unquote. It's by a company called Relation,t which is a healthcare technology firm. I found that to be interesting. Oh, really? We own that term, right? Or healthcare owns that term. Yeah, we can all jump in on that. So they talk in this article about the digital front door being a strategy. So I think that's important, right? A strategy. For engaging patients at every major touch point of the patient journey using technology that the patients have already opted for everyday use. Interesting, right? Because number one, they talk about it being a strategy, not a website, like we mentioned a second ago, a strategy or not a thing that exists. And it being about the patient journey, touch points, and relative to technology people have already adopted or opted in for. They go even further to say that it recognizes that patients will always choose to do the easy thing. And so the point here is that the strategy should be focusing on making things a lot easier. They extend it out to say it proactively creates easy access points, including online self-scheduling, mobile pre-registrations and check-ins. Now we're getting very specific here. Web mobile payments surveys that feed online reviews, and automated reminders for follow-ups because it's easier to be reactive than proactive. The reactive versus proactive piece, that's kind of interesting. I mean, certainly people will choose to do the easiest thing with, with all the other pieces being equal. Potentially, you'll do something harder if the outcome is a higher benefit or something like that, maybe. Uh, but you are going to default back to the easiest thing and kind of work your way up based on need. Well, we are a very complex industry, and we we don't make it easier for patients to access our care. And certainly our digital channels reflect that kind of complexity, what's behind the scenes. So I, I can get the way they're taking this definition. Now, another article, Health Tech Magazine, wrote, the future of healthcare starts with a, quote, digital front door, unquote. And they have a different definition. It's slightly different. So again, talking about it as a strategy, which I think is interesting, but a successful digital front door strategy is purpose-built, simple to use, and aesthetically pleasing. So it seems to be that although strategy is used, they're talking more about the pieces of it, like it's a thing. Yeah, like it's some kind of concept, right? So it has to be purposefully built. And they even go on to say that the door must always be open. They quote an Accenture survey that says that 77% of patients believe the ability to book, cancel, or change an appointment online is important. Such access is critical as more people seek care. They pinpointed on 
making appointments again as being an important part of that. So I see some commonality. I do think the COVID piece, it's probably an accelerant. The world's just different now. Now, does that mean that everyone's only going to do telemedicine visits or telehealth visits? No, no, probably not. But more so than before. And so as you think about the digital front door piece, I think, you know, they talk about here being critical for people seeking care because they delayed because of that. Well, I think because of that, it's accelerating what their expectation is when they do go back to receive care. And one other point that they say here in this article, an interesting addition to the definition is the digital front door concept should be extending in a personalized way into those channels that people at home can actually access. That kind of aligns a little bit with my thoughts when I think about that term digital front door. But is there anything missing? Is that a concise enough definition? I do think that while it is a strategy, it's a destination to some degree, like it is an actual place. So that strategy, I think, leads you to those access points for consumers. I think this is a good time for us to turn to a blog post from Binary Fountain. And just recently, they actually posted a blog post that outlines the elements of a good digital front door strategy. And it's an article called How to Improve Your Digital Front Door Strategy. Quite naturally, the first thing that comes to mind is your website. They say here that it should be a consumer-optimized website. Visitors who arrive at your digital front door or your website should expect convenience, ease of use, and accessibility. There are those terms again. Yeah, I'm really kind of honing in on convenience and ease of use are not terribly easy. It's somewhat uh, subjective. Yes. Depending on who it is that you're talking to. I think accessibility, though, not as subjective because there is some best practices. There are things that need to be in place for people with, uh, from a compliance standpoint. So people that are visually impaired, for example. When you talk about accessibility, that is not as subjective because it needs to work on all devices. It needs to be accessible for those that have a hindrance there or something like that, right? But the first two, it's like, uh, you know, however many people you ask, that's how many <laughs> different definitions, definitions you're going to get. Yeah. They say that visitors are wanting to find answers and solutions to their, whatever question and problem they have. And many of them will not search harder. Back to the point of the consumer is just want to take the easy route. And if they can't find it on your website, they'll simply go elsewhere to search. And more times than not, where they go to search after that is probably Google or your competitor. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Google. The next thing they talk about on here is the actual site navigation. So we talked about optimized website. You know, this is kind of a piece of that even. But your digital front door must direct visitor traffic to the appropriate healthcare services and care options. You got them there. Can they find what they're looking for? Are they landing where they thought they meant to land? Using terms, using words that are clear, that are not too complex. The other thing is, is that when they actually find whatever that may be, if they're looking for a doctor or a service or whatever, give them the ability to, to act when they get there. So they talk here about click-to-call capabilities on your website, and even more so, online appointment scheduling. And now in this day and age, even if you have telemedicine consults, allow them to begin that right there. And make sure that you you invest in that technology to make that happen because you don't want them to stop. Making it easy. 
Easier said than done, certainly. The red button does not exist. And then so we said if they don't get it there, then where do they go? They go to Google. That's why a third point in this article they mention is to embrace an SEO strategy. SEO strategy is an interesting one because you, you have on-page and off-page SEO. And the stuff that's a little bit easier to control certainly is the on-page piece. The meta descriptions, the alt tags, the, you know, SEO optimized titles and content, you know, all those types of best practices that certainly as you drill into the website and the content therein, it requires work, but it's a little bit easier. The off page or backlinks or people linking to you is is the harder play. Certainly social can kind of play a role there. This is where community management and all kinds of things come into play that make it more of a longer term and a little bit of a harder harder get. Yeah, I'm noticing as we're going through this list, they start with things that are simpler to address. Your website, your navigation, making sure there's calls to action, etc. Once we start to expand past your website, it gets a little bit more nebulous, a little bit challenging. The next point they say is to build trust through content. Binary Fountain did a study. They found that 167% increase in consumers concerned with their healthcare provider's reputation from 2017 to 2019. So they say it's an imperative here to build trust through your content. Now we're getting into definitions that are a little bit less concrete. The next couple of points here talk about some areas of content that will help you build some of that trust. Certainly not just focusing on the homepage. They say there are 80 micro moments in the consumer healthcare journey. Wow. That's a little bit daunting. Progressing from discovery to exploration, to evaluation, to engagement, to experience, you know, et cetera, doesn't mean necessarily that people are or should ever land on your homepage. I've said this before on the podcast, uh, Google is your homepage. If you're doing your Google strategies right, you what you type into your Google search will get you to that right page and maybe even totally bypass your homepage. The other thing they focus a lot in in this article, which I think is important, is optimizing your provider pages. They have a list of some of the things they found in their research that you need to have on the provider bio, but they also talk very heavily about ensuring that you're including online patient reviews on your provider pages because those reviews build trust with people coming there. So if they are looking for, let's say, the right orthopedic doctor and they get to your provider page, having those reviews there is kind of a way to build that trust. Uh, and then as we saw, you know, even in the study that we did at Girard about this increased trust in providers and caregivers, now is the time certainly to kind of double down on some of this and really kind of rethink, you know, what that message looks like online. As we think about this concept of digital front door, it gets very nuanced. So after the break read, let's di dive a little bit deeper into some of the nuances that we found when researching what it actually means to create a digital front door strategy. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. We're going to go back and actually touch on an article uh, that we mentioned earlier from, from Health Tech Magazine called uh, The Future of Healthcare Starts with a Digital Front Door. They really outline in this article some points on which the digital front door strategy is couched around. They actually brought forth a couple of points that I think are pretty important as you're considering your your front door strategy. The first is to create a very strong first point through virtual contact. That really means implementing things like chatbots and AI and other automation tools so that you're helping people when they land on your homepage, it's not just simplify your navigation of your website. It's actually giving them tools to proactively guide them to where they need to go. And I think, honestly, as an aside, I think AI is going to change the way we think about websites and certainly get us to a place where there's less navigating and it's more conversing with a chatbot, you know, real-time type stuff. And to that point, uh, they talk about it in here. For Iman Johnson, the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association, had a comment here about how technology isn't mean to replace real life, but is meant to supplement it. And so I think that's very much, you know, kind of what we're talking about here. Certainly during a crisis or a pandemic or something, you know, think about hurricanes or, try, you know, stuff that's, you know, happens to certain parts of the country, natural disasters, it could be local disasters, things like that. That's where a lot of this really kind of think comes into play and really bears out the uh, the benefit of it. If done right, you can use this technology, these digital front doors to help over extended care teams, your call centers, your administrative staff, so that they can actually manage things better. We've talked about this when we were looking at AI and chatbots in previous episodes, where these technologies are designed to be beneficial to not only the people using them, but the people that are on the back end managing those interactions. I think the last point they want, they wrap up this whole section about the virtual contact being really strong is that these touch points are a great opportunity where you can actually gather two-way information. You have to not only implement these tools to make them more effective for people, but they should be providing your organization valuable inputs to ensure the information is accurate and to ensure you're starting to get a better understanding of your voice of customer. Relative to the virtual contact piece, but they talk about, you know, that at a fundamental level, it, it must deliver value to both the patients and the providers. And I think that's an interesting piece. So that's great that this stuff's super helpful, maybe for consumers. Is it helping with bottlenecks and processes and helping with workflow, if you will? That's cannot be understated enough. Digital should be a tool that not only makes things easier for your customers, your patients, it should be ways to make your organization more efficient and operationally more sound. One last thing that we really haven't spent a lot of time on, Reed, and when we're talking about this concept, is there's all these other tools that are part of your digital front door. Social media, which we've talked about a lot before, people using social media prior to coming to your website. It could be those online reviews through Google My Business and other places where they're getting information about you prior to even stepping into your digital front door, so to speak. And so 
another article that we want to talk about here that has some good information here is called Your Digital Front Door Strategy Starts Well Before Your Website. And it's from a company we all know, NRC Health. They're talking about it you know, starting, and I would agree, well before any sort of a scheduled appointment or before certainly anybody shows up uh, at a brick and mortar location. Talk about health systems should proactively manage and optimize their digital footprint. So again, kind of analogous here uh, across some of these key channels. So we mentioned social and all that kind of good stuff. But you think about search maps and rating and review sites and now even voice search as you think about like Alexa and Google Home and all that as everybody's devices just went off. Yeah, there's a lot to consider there of what that access point is. And now you think about all the virtual care pieces to kind of mix in there. Some of the research that NRC Health did for this article, they found that there is sort of a commonality around the types of questions people are asking. And they actually used an example to break down four components related to how people search, which can help inform where your strategy should be. They bring forward this example of uh, a consumer typing in best urgent care near me that is open now and accepts Aetna insurance. So that breaks down to four different things if you look at that search. And by the way, search strings are becoming that long now. So Oh, sure. Um, the first one is who has the best doctors? They equate that to online reputation. Mm-hmm. There's been more than a 400% increase in local healthcare searches since 2016. Near me and best searches now dominate those in healthcare, according to Google Trends. If a Google search contains the word best, I didn't know this before I researched this, only listings with four stars or higher will appear in the local search results. Really? Huh. Interesting, huh? Well, how about that? NRC Health in the article goes on to point out that the average star rating for a doctor or provider is 3.8 stars. So just no one shows up on search? <laughs> that has sort of an implication, right, to your online reputation strategy. And that's why focusing in on ensuring that your star ratings are being managed actively and that you're actually using those in a strategic way becomes very important. If anyone starts to type in best whatever, we want to make sure that that corresponds with that local Google search. I feel like we should find somebody to start mailing seeds on behalf of these <laughs> That is very interesting. Also, they talk about the accessibility side of it. So the near me and open now components, some of the most critical factors when patients are considering where to go. I mean, this is not a huge shocker, but is obviously location and hours of operation. What's the closest to me and are they open? Then you start looking at things like self-scheduling. You know, is that available online? Is it request an appointment or make an appointment. Those are two completely different things. Certainly the same day appointments or walk-ins welcome or you know whatever, that kind of thing. You know, the virtual visits certainly over the last few months have become more and more important. And I think will continue to be important over time. Even if we do get back to normal, uh, it'll still be higher than what it was, certainly, because people have used it, experienced it, liked it, you know, that kind of thing. And then finally, the wait times. And what level of acuity or emergency can a given uh, location, physician, clinic, you know, handle? With virtual care, telehealth now, being able to propagate out to the Google My Business listings, which we talked about before, it's becoming now 
near me. It might be right from my computer. Let's get started. That's like a huge benefit to consumers, particularly if they always opt to take the easy way out. Having that launch right away in front of you, that's that's a significant benefit if you can have that. The third component of that search term before includes pricing. Insurance and pricing, they remember it mentioned if it's covered by my insurance, but cost is becoming a thing too here. They say in this article that patients continue to pay more out of their pocket every year. In fact, patients as a group are now the fastest growing payer in healthcare. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So I can say from experience doing some community management and reputation management type work, we have a a uh, hospital we work with that is uh, on the border of Texas and, and Mexico and pretty close, maybe 9.8 times out of 10. Uh, if we get a comment from Mexico to the hospital on Facebook, for example, it's almost only and exclusively about how much does it cost to have a baby, to have, you know, whatever. It's usually to have a baby. That's a big deal. How much is this going to cost? And I think this the transparency, like there's nowhere to look up any of this, number one. Like there's not like uh, a list of services and what they cost on the website kind of a thing. And I'm not going to get into the nuances of all that kind of stuff. But people are demanding upfront estimates, what they should expect to pay, all that kind of good stuff. And I will say even from like having my own kids, probably the best you know experiences we've had when we had both of the girls we we actually had them where you know they gave us the estimate up front and then we were able to pay that you know over that nine months you know of just like hey if you pay i don't even know what it was you know 150 bucks every time you come to the doctor you know to your your checkups and stuff like that uh by the time you get here and you have the baby it's all paid for it's like oh okay cool they do that more on the l and d side than i think some of the others but people are starting to expect it now in other services certainly and there is a movement now of um, what they're calling 200 shoppable encounters in healthcare that they're they're looking at creating legislation around it to ensure that there's price transparency and every health system has to have the pricing of these 200 shoppable events. And most of them are, you know, things like MRIs and imaging, things that are easier to kind of pinpoint pin pin down. So that's kind of aligning with patients now being a payer, they're demanding upfront estimates. And so you need to be there. In looping all the way back around to some of the things that we said very early on, which is, you know, patients will choose ease is what they point out. And here's kind of their last point, you know, whether that's the front door itself, easy to find, navigate, et cetera, could be ease as it relates to the entire experience, right? We've talked about this historically around patient experience that everything could go perfectly. And then like the last encounter you have on the way out the door could screw up the whole thing. And I think that's where we are in this virtual or digital sense. You know, it's hard to delineate. Scheduling was great, but you know, this was bad. And I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I think we've got to have the whole, the whole piece now. What's interesting is, is I'm wondering if this whole concept of digital front door we're not thinking about it in a broader sense. And this is sort of a, a tease now for the interview that we're going to run here next, which is I, I had that opportunity to sit down with someone that I worked with before when I was doing some work with the advisory board a couple of years ago, Tom Castles. He's now with a company called Rock Health. He and I sat down and actually talked about this concept of digital front door. And he has a unique definition and a definition that 
kind of encompasses all of this, but positions it differently. Let's give that interview a listen after a short break here, and then we'll come back to close up the show and uh, have some final thoughts. Today, I am excited to be talking with someone that I've been collaborating with, and that's my uh, friend, Tom Castles. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Really glad to be here today. I'm excited you're here too. Tom, uh, many people listening in may not know about you. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and where you are today? I am the president of Rock Health, which is a digital health early stage venture capital fund and advisory services fund to the, shall we say, the buy side of digital health, which is the large health plans, health systems, pharma companies who are working together with the entrepreneurs that we invest in to accelerate the adoption of digital technology to make healthcare massively better. Before Rock Health, you've had a lot of experience in healthcare. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that background as well? I was blessed to spend the first 16 years of my career working at the advisory board company. And I worked specifically for about 10 years in our research division, working largely with health system CEOs, boards, chief strategy officers, and chief marketing officers. I also spent the rest of my tenure running our strategy consulting practice. And in particular, some of the work that I got to do with Chris was focused around customer journey mapping and how to build experiences that match the expectations of consumers in the ambulatory sphere. That was the foundation of a career in healthcare that continues to be dynamic and allows me to work with a lot of folks who are doing a lot of important work right now. And that work that you refer to that we, you and I collaborated on with a, with a larger team, that was a number of years ago. And even back then, we were talking about the topic du jour, the topic that we're going to dive into today. Back then, we even were using this term, the digital front door. You and I have our opinions about that term, because I think a lot of people think about it differently. And, you know, I almost think of the old, what is it, the old coffee talk, where, you know, they say the digital front door is neither digital nor a front door. We should point out that five years ago, we were talking about what people are talking about now. So let's, let's accept <laughs> some credit for that. But back then, we used the term digital front door, right? And I think people are still using it today. But I think for many people, it means different things. So let's start with that. Help me understand, when you hear that term digital front door, what does it mean to you? So for me, the Digital front door is how we earn the awareness of prospective customers' understanding of our brand. That, to me, is fundamentally the opportunity that we have in front of us. After that, we have lots of opportunity to activate individual consumers, acquire those consumers, retain them, reacquire them. But the front door is two things to me. One, it is in 
the mobile sphere. It is not on premises, as we use that term in healthcare. And we either earn the right every day for people to approach our front door, or in some cases, we dismiss people from being aware of the services and the experiences that we offer. This digital front door, quote unquote, concept, it can manifest itself in many different places online. And it typically doesn't start on the properties that a organization owns, like a website. Is that fair to say? Increasingly, health systems, digital footprints are growing. It's just they don't always realize how far they're growing. Part of the reason for that is there are health system websites, then there are individual hospital websites, and sometimes web pages for ambulatory surgery centers, and then you just get started with the medical groups. And all of a sudden, your footprint is quite large. But frankly, the footprint is growing at a time when we don't have a whole lot of humility to know that our front door isn't the front door for patients. There aren't a lot of times when I am considering having a, uh, I've had an elective procedure in the last year. And I assure you that the first place I went was not my local health systems website. That is not remotely where I went. I went to a sports medicine social group uh, in North Arlington and talked about what are the ups and downs, the, the pain thresholds, et cetera, for this procedure. And frankly, that is where the health system had the opportunity to make me aware that they either A, were experts in the management of that pain, or B, used the power of grateful patients to gain my awareness. But the actual choice of provider comes way after the choice of, hey, am I going to do this? And some people might poo-poo that by saying, well, that's just elective procedures. Well, guess what? You don't schedule too many non-elective procedures. And so when you think about patients as consumers, you really have to think about where in the digital ether do I need to start my path to my health system's digital front door? And how do I do that? How do I effectively drive awareness and attention? Over the last 10, 15 years, the digital ether, as you call it, right, the digital ecosystem has dramatically expanded. There are so many places now that are considered by the typical patient consumer as being pseudo-authoritative places where they can actually get information about their care. Like, for example, the point where you you said you went to a social group, or I, would, I assume that's like some kind of online social group where people were talking about yes. sports medicine. Yes, I'm over 40. So there are a lot of over 40 males uh, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> to talk about how painful it is to play in the over 40 basketball league when you know there's some 30-year-olds just hanging about in there. Exactly. But that's the first challenge that when health systems start to think about this, it's it's like when you start to count up all the different potential 
touch points or front doors, so to speak, into your health system, no wonder they default to, well, let's pick the ones closest to us. We can own that small group of data that we call our physicians and expand that to maybe our affiliated physicians, et cetera. That's kind of, they work from an inside out approach. When we flip this on its head and we actually think about digital front door, is the inside out approach the right way to start to uh, look at this? I think we have to have the humility to say no. Frankly, we as health system leaders and us as consultants to those leaders have spent years and years identifying the problem and identifying it inside of our organizations. Our scheduling is a challenge. We don't coordinate well administratively. It's very difficult to navigate from one step to the next step in our health system. That entirely skips over the point at which we go outside of ourselves and actually look at how do people who are shopping for these services, and I do use the term shopping because that's exactly what I was doing. And as healthcare gets more expensive, people who are shopping for things that are less elective are going to be doing this as well. Where can health systems go to find us? How do you go to your customer rather than focusing on what happens when they happen upon us? That's a a big piece of work right there, the earned awareness. And I've used that term a couple of times because I, I really do think that there's so much noise even in one, two hospital towns, that you really do need to provide some value before folks are even going to attempt to go through the gates of scheduling services. I could be crazy, but how do you think about that, Chris? Well, I think you're right, uh, but I think that that's ever elusive, right? And I think part of it is that when we look at, again, having spent time working within health systems as well as on the outside consulting in, we have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees. We sometimes think, well, look, the most important segment of the customer journey are those things that we own. And so we're going to look at that. And yes, we have a scheduling problem, so we're going to solve that problem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you're fundamentally right. Right. We have to meet the customer where they're at. But when we ask that question, you know, or when we pose that statement in the hollowed halls of medicine, and particularly in the hollowed halls of healthcare marketing or digital health or wherever it may be, the solution to that becomes a little bit nebulous because we really don't have a good understanding of how our patients or how our customers are shopping for us. What I actually do when I'm working with health systems who are focused on understanding how their customers are shopping for specific services is to actually go out and do what every other industry does, which is finding the people who have accessed your services and the people who have accessed the same services elsewhere and understand what was the difference in difference across multiple points where somebody fell off for you and stayed on for someone else. Basically, what I'm saying is not very complicated. We are building as health systems 
consumer brands, we better deliver consumer experiences. The design of those really ought not to come from what is possible today. It ought to come from what we can technologically install and culturally accept. You used a term just now when you were saying that, that I think is as nebulous as the digital front door, which is the experience, the customer experience. And I, I totally understand when we talk about customer journey mapping, how important it is to do so. But when we start to define or quantify what experience possibly could be, that's another place where if you're not well-versed at understanding what experience really means, what it's defined as from a customer perspective, you might be missing the mark. Oh, we miss the mark uh, almost every single day, uh, as (laughs) Cheryl Crow would say. The reality is we think about consumers shopping for the services we provide today. You know, I mentioned scheduling, administrative coordinating, and navigation of next steps. So scheduling. We think you want to get into my office. Not necessarily. Look at Cleveland Clinic Express Care online. As an oncology patient, I am guaranteed same-day access for an interaction with someone in the oncology department at the clinic. That doesn't mean I'm going to see a medical oncologist. It doesn't mean that I'm going to see a candy striper. What it means is exactly what is listed on the website for Cleveland Clinic Express Care. It is no different than the approach that Walmart is taking, except what they're doing at Cleveland Clinic is twofold. One, they're addressing urgent needs within an episode of cancer. And by the way, they do this across several service lines. But this example is important. The ability to keep cancer patients out of the emergency department is highly correlated with the efficacy of uh, treatment plans. That's the job that needs to be done. I need to see some care provider and I need to not go to the ED. The second thing they're doing is they're dealing with the anxiety and psychological element of why you schedule with a health system. There's something right in front of your face that you can't handle. And if you can see somebody that can reduce your immediate anxiety, other elements of your condition have a chance at subsiding in the short term. Cleveland Clinic isn't saying we've got same-day medonc visits. They're saying If you have an emergency or think you might, or if you're simply just so anxious, you need to talk to us today, that's what we can do for you. It's no different than work that I've seen and had the luck to participate on the front end of at Advent Health in Florida. They started a program several years ago called Project Fulcrum, and largely what they did was They asked individual physicians to introduce patients who had at least one chronic condition to a nurse call line, which then 
they ended up actually backing down to uh, sub RN licensure. And all they do is talk about how do we remove obstacles from you getting what you need done. If you need a rush lab, don't ask your doctor, send it to the folks at Project Fulcrum and they're working that process. You're outsourcing from someone who quite frankly, can't do the job to someone who is literally purpose-built to get that job done for you. The last one I, I had mentioned was navigation. There's nothing I find more frustrating, especially with my children, is bringing them to the pediatrician and the pediatrician saying, I'm going to give you a referral to see an orthopedist. In my mind, what you've just told me is, you need to go find an orthopedist who will see your kid within the next two weeks. Good luck to you. There's a, a, a company, and I'll, I'll say my fund is an investor in this company called Sitka. Sitka is a peer-to-peer asynchronous messaging platform for primary care physicians to reach specialists and to share what's going on in the office with my patient and how can I think about referral and potential diagnosis. Usually within a single day, Sitka is able to send a peer-to-peer message back to not just the doctor, but the patient with their read on the situation and their confirmation of what type of treatment plan is most likely to be needed. Now that I know that, the pediatrician is going to have a hard time getting me out of her office without me speaking to an orthopedic office manager about scheduling. Because I've just learned that this is an urgent consult I need. Again, it's not delivering care. It's not bringing more referrals necessarily into my affiliated orthopedics practice, although if you're using it right, it sure is. What it's doing is reducing the time between, hey, you should get a consult and actually having that consult. I apologize for the monologue, but I'm trying to get at the point that consumers don't want what we have to sell. They want these services that frankly are not for sale at most health systems today. And to put it another way, using this metaphor of the digital front door, maybe they don't want a door. They want an easier way to access care. They don't even want to think about what that transport is, if it's a door or a window. I think that's true. Over time, the front door is frankly going to swing both ways. With two very large trends, one, the graying of America, and two, the sad spike in diagnoses of developmental disorders in the pediatric space, increasingly, people are going to need to have care and health services delivered in their home. Their digital front door is the monitor for their cable box. It's what you can do to be of greatest service where they live their lives and frankly, where 
life is simplest for the folks who need to receive care. And that's where I think the greatest danger is for health systems, losing the race to the patient's front door. If I was betting on who's going to be in that front door, I'd be betting on people like Best Buy. Best Buy acquired TitoCare a couple of years ago. With TitoCare, you could basically do an annual wellness visit. You can do a check for what most people go to urgent care centers for, and it's simple to use. That's who I'm thinking about when I think about competition getting to the patient's front door. Another group is Walgreens. Their alignment with Village MD is likely valuable for them for a number of reasons with respect to foot traffic. It's even more valuable to Village MD who can now use their virtual care platforms and potentially tie that into the Walgreens rewards card. Probably one of the richest data warehouses in all of retail. And frankly, you have CVS Health and their health hubs. They're not getting all the way to the front door, but they're certainly working with the retail pharmacy to figure out how to extend that piece of their core business to the front door. What are we doing as health systems to compete that way? If we get stuck thinking about only one side of the front door, we run the risk of losing the right to earn caring status in the home. So the picture that you're outlining for us, Tom, it sounds to me like you've given up hope on health systems. (laughs) It'll happen from the outside. I know that's not your position, but what's your perspective on that? Do you think that health systems will have a fighting chance in this? Because I think, you know, there's been a lot of uh, conversation lately, particularly through the pandemic, that health systems still maintain a high level of that trust with the patient. I absolutely believe they have standing, but not for the reason that you mentioned. Health systems have this conceptual defense against disruptors, which is we're in the telemedicine business game now. Come for COVID and stay for virtual visits. We've got all your records. That is not a good defense. We need to go on offense. Offense is not in the master facility footprint. It's in the master digital footprint. How do we expand and prioritize what, frankly, is going to disrupt our clinic business? I know some private multi-specialty group clinics are actually budgeting for moving up to 40% of their visits to virtual so that they can downsize their real estate assets. That's embracing the kind of change you need to win. I think that health systems who embrace the full measure of understanding how consumers are shopping and then actually providing the services that they're looking for instead of the services that we have and have had for decades, the trust factor, that trust factor is going to be a reflection of health systems ability to and will to reshape themselves in the form of how patients want to receive care. 
that is a heavy lift, but a lift that most of the health systems that I've worked with over time should and will take. Or if they don't decide to take that, then they'll fall behind those that do. And that really is the underlying challenge of healthcare consumerism is that it's consumerism. And that reflects that people like you and me, we have choices. If we're not designing these solutions and designing the offering, whatever that might be in the right way, there's going to be a better replacement in the marketplace. That's where we're at. I agreed. Trust is only as good as what you're doing for me lately. Consumers are telling physicians, medical groups, hospitals, and health systems, do better. It seems so simplistic, yet so profound. And I don't mean to diminutize the the path that you outlined, but in effect, some of the most profound uh, solutions are the simplest. Working with some of the most complex organizations in the history of, of humankind, a little simplicity could go a long way. Absolutely. Wow, Tom, this has been a really great conversation. People listening in, they may want to know a little bit more about you and maybe about Rock Health. What are some ways they can actually uh, find you online? You can always go to www.rockhealth.com. What you'll find is something that we're very proud of, which is the first side of our business, our investment fund and all the digital health companies that we've been lucky enough to bet behind. You'll also find our advisory services. We have a research membership dedicated solely to digital transformation and digital strategy. We work with some of the largest healthcare companies in the world and some of the smallest medical practices in Arlington, largely to narrow the gap between entrepreneurs and incumbents. We also work with folks in a consulting capacity to tackle the very issues we were talking about today. I would be thrilled to hear from folks who think I'm totally wrong and have lost touch with reality or folks who want to tackle some of these issues, please reach out. Thank you again. Chris, thank you so much for having me on. All right, special thanks to Tom Castles for coming on the show. It's always good to hear from uh, experts in the field and certainly good things happening, have been for years at Rock Health. And so great to have him and come and talk and some provocative uh, ideas and thoughts and comments there. So that's great. Do sign up for the TPS report uh, over at touchpoint.health. You'll get, of course, that weekly email with some great articles and stuff like that. But you'll also get a little more information about upcoming conferences, certainly virtual conferences at this point. Uh, The Healthcare Internet Conference often uh, in the fall here a few months away. But Chris, you want to talk for just a second about the one that's coming up here in just a matter of days now? Yeah, so the Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategy Summit is coming up at the uh, at the end of August, August 18th through the 20th, and I will be actually presenting with Brian Gresh one day. It's a three-day virtual conference. You can jump out to their website. You can find out the full breakdown. Because it is a virtual conference, they realize that there's some efficiencies involved, and so they're offering actually group discounts so you can have multiple people attend for less than the price of actually physical attendance to a conference. So that's kind of a 
bonus. I would encourage everybody to just jump out there and take a look, healthcarestrategy.com. And if you have any questions, just reach out to Reed and I. We could certainly hook you up with uh, more information about how you can get discounted team pricing. And Reed, there's one other conference too that I just uh, recently indicated that I'm going to be part of, one that we haven't mentioned before. It's the SMASH conference around acute care. And I'm going to be doing a workshop for them in October, another virtual conference. Look for that as well. We haven't talked about that before. Our podcast reaches out to those listening in from the acute care settings, right? So encourage people that are going to the SMASH conference to attend my workshop there as well. Well, cool. Well, let's do a couple of recommendations and then we'll get out of here. What do you, what do you have today? I'm going to recommend something that I've been using for a while, but I, what I love more about this is that they keep updating and doing new features and new functionalities. And that's Spotify. So Spotify is, is a great music platform. It's one that I've been using for years. I have the paid version because I also bundled it with Hulu and I got some discounting. So Spotify has been doing a lot of great things lately. Not only are they ensuring that they're having all the music available and that it's streaming and they're having Spotify exclusive audio content, they're also doing podcasting. As we know, our podcast can be found on Spotify, but they're releasing original podcasting. So a couple of weeks ago, I recommended a podcast, The Winds of Change, the, that song that was potentially written by That's the right. CIA. That's a Spotify exclusive show, although it's distributed anywhere. They have additional episodes, sort of like bonus episodes, only available on Spotify that you can listen to. And then for those that may or may not have heard about it, the Michelle Obama podcast is only released on Spotify now, which I found to be an interesting marketing take there. Mm -hmm. For those people wanting to listen in, you can only go to Spotify to listen to that. But here's the other thing that they just announced, which is kind of very, very cool. They're now released a feature called Spotify Squad, which allows you to have group listening parties. So you and your friends can connect together and you can create a playlist. All your friends that are kind of on Spotify at the same time will be listening to the same stream. Whether they say you're either six feet apart or a thousand miles away, you can listen in through a listen party, through the Spotify squad, they call it. It's beta, but you you can test it out. I find that to be really interesting. That's my recommendation today. A good old standard Spotify, but just check it out. So Very cool. That's great. I am going to recommend a shovel. (laughs) It is the specifically... It's a specific shovel. The Fisker's 46-inch steel D-handle square garden spade. (laughs) I've been reshaping some of our flower beds and kind of extending them and and kind of redoing some of the uh, the beds at our house. And this particular shovel is made basically for edging. And so it gives you a very straight cut and allows you to create edges of beds uh, and whatnot. So... It's a lot of work. Uh, it doesn't come with someone <laughs> that also does the digging. Anyway, it's cool. It's very handy. I've used it for the first time. I've got a number of shovels, but I needed one that made a very straight edge. Uh, so when you use your upside down paint and kind of mark off where you want something, you can follow that. And uh, it turns out the way that you hoped. So Fisker's 46 inch uh, steel D handle square guard spade. I'm happy to send a link to somebody if anybody's really interested. <laughs> this is amazing. I didn't even realize there were all these different shovels. So there you go. Yeah, that's probably my, I see one, two, three, four. That's my fifth shovel. 
that I have in the garage, I guess. Oh, that's amazing. Well, there you go. Another successful episode, or at least we'll claim that it was. Uh, we certainly appreciate you uh, tuning in, listening, telling a friend. That is still the number one way that you can help us out. Uh, certainly go out there, rate, review, subscribe over on Apple Podcasts, stream it on Spotify or wherever you happen to listen. It's great with us. I'd love to hear from you. Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever works. Uh, certainly you can email us through the website, touchpoint.health. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health. Missed opportunity for us to say something to the effect of you can put your seeds into the ground with the Fisker shovel. <laughs>